HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. Last month, Hurricane Florence walloped parts of North Carolina. According to the Weather Channel, it was the wettest tropical storm to ever hit the Tar Heel State. So how did the restaurant industry respond? Some helped FEMA weather the storm, while others got to work feeding people on the ground. We just walked in and said, we know how to cook, what can we do? They said, I need you guys to just cook 150 pork loins, and we were just like, uh, okay. (laughs) Now the attention needs to be on Florence's long-term effect on North Carolina's farming community. The general mood of farmers is one of certainly resilience and almost feels like it's the normal course of business to just get hit by a gigantic hurricane and need to just keep on going. So tune in to this week's Meet and Three on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, a food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We, sushi, uh, we see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond the sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what is exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And I have three guests today from Katana Kitten, a new Japanese-American bar in the West Village in New York City. Masahiro Urushido is the managing partner, head partner, and the director of Deliciousness. Um, Masa became the Chef Regal's global master, uh, one of the best bartenders of the world in 2014, and was the bar manager at Saxon Apparel, a great new American restaurant in East Village. Masa came out to a show on episode 71 and talked about his cocktail philosophy and Japanese cocktail culture. And James Tune is the general manager and the managing partner. He's also the general manager and a manage, managing partner at the Boilermaker, the East Village mainstay. And he's been in the business for a long time, uh, as many as 15 years. And Greg Bohm 
is the corner and the founder of Cocktail Kingdom, and uh, which brings where to find great cocktail books and barware to the cocktail community. He is also the creative mind behind the Cocktail Kingdom hospitality, which includes existing condition in Greenwich Village, Mace and Boilermaker uh, in East Village. Japanese cocktail culture is getting global attention lately, but we don't know too much about what it is outside of Japan. So today, we'll discover, uh, discover it through the unique concept of katanakitan. Um, but quickly before we start, Japani is available on Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher as a podcast, and also Spotify, actually. And so please go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and subscribe to Japani. And if you have any ideas of uh, ideas about topics or the show guests, please let us know. You can email us at japaneeds at heritageradionetwork.org. And a uh, quick announcement. Uh, the number, uh, the 23rd Smoke Stew is coming to New York on Monday, November 12th at Brooklyn Brewery in Williamsburg. Uh, it will start at 8 p.m. And as you may know, Smoke Stew is a seasonal live streaming event of Sumo matches straight from Japan, and you can enjoy Japanese food from outstanding restaurants as you watch the matches. Tickets are available at eventbrite.com and uh, look for Sumo Stew. It's S-U-M-O-S-T-E-W. It's a Sumo Stew. And uh, for Japan- Japanese listeners, there is a $10 off discount code. That's SS Japanese. That's one word, WS Japanese. And finally, I'll be uh, moderating an event at Japan Society on Wednesday, October 24th at 6.30 p.m. The theme is uh, Crafting Beer, Traditional Techniques, Modern Brews. And Joshua Bernstein, beer journalist and author of Homebrew World, discover the secrets of the world's uh, leading homebrewers. And he will trace how Japanese sake techniques and producers influence today's global craft beer trends. The talk and discussion will be followed by tasting Japanese craft beers and the beers influenced by Japan. For tickets, please go to japansociety.org. That's japansociety.org. Now, let's start a conversation with Masahiro Urushido, James June, and Greg Bohm. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So, uh, first of all, uh, we'd like to know each of your backgrounds. So, uh, where are you from and uh, how did you get into the cocktail industry? Uh, I guess I'll start. So, um, okay. So, this is uh, Greg. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I started. Um, I'm from New York. I grew up here. I've lived in and around the city most of my life. Um, I came into the cocktail world in a uh, roundabout way. So I started in book publishing, and among other books, my family's publishing company published books about cocktails. Um, and from that, I met a lot of bartenders. Started importing barware. And then later um, opened my first bar uh, with James, which was Golden Cadillac, followed by Boilermaker, a few others, and now most recently Katana Kitten. Mm, so that's a very abbreviated version of introduction. I think you are really into details of cocktail history and bottles. So yeah, through that, um, as I started um, learning about cocktails, I started collecting antique cocktail books mm. and I ended up with the largest collection of antique cocktail books in the world uh, I believe I don't think anybody has a larger collection maybe somebody will correct me oh wow um, and I met a lot of bartenders who wanted to research using my books or sometimes purchase some of the cocktail books from me so I met a lot of very influential cocktail bartenders 
and that at that time a few of them mentioned to me there it was difficult to get good barware in the United States going back 14 15 years ago so i started importing barware from Japan and Germany and that was the beginning of Cocktail Kingdom. Mm, wow. So um yeah I heard that you, you even gave a lecture to Japanese bartenders in Japan. So. Yeah, def- <laughs> um at the Peninsula Hotel in Tokyo I've given lectures uh to Japanese bartenders about the history of cocktails. Mm, right. I should learn more about that. So, okay, so what about you James? I uh, broke into the business about 15 years ago, I started managing nightclubs and bars, uh, did that for a few years, and in 2007, I joined Pegu Club as a manager, and that was my first real experience with, with cocktails mm. in the cocktail world. So Pegu Club, by the way, for listeners not familiar with, that's like one of the best bars, no question. It, uh, yes, it's a very respectable bar, it was one of the first, um, not the first, but one of the first uh, doing cocktails of that caliber, and um, a lot of great bartenders came from there mm. and during my time there I, I learned a lot right. know, it was a great experience overall and also it's led by founded by a female bartender which is like a record-breaking <laughs> kind of achievement for yeah Audrey Saunders uh, one of my mentors mm. um, she's fantastic and, and really gave a lot to, to this industry and the cocktail industry in general mm-hmm. right. and you're from New York Yes, I'm also uh, born and raised in New York. Mm-hmm. Okay, we, we, before the show, we were discussing where the, the bar, that cocktail culture came from. It sounds like it came from New York. So it's, uh, Definitely New York's rich in cocktail history. I mean, where Cocktail Kingdom's offices are is on the same block where the Hoffman House was, which was uh, the golden age of the American cocktails, roughly 1860s to 1890s. And one of the most famous bars was the Hoffman House, which is in the Flatiron District, was in the Flatiron District, um, now it's the 40-40 club. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's very, New York is definitely steeped in cocktail history. Mm, right. Okay. And uh, Masa, I, I gave you a quick uh, introduction at the beginning, but... Uh, mas <laughs> <laughs> So, you're from where? Yes, um, uh, I'm originally from a small town called Minowa in Nagano Prefecture. And my first job in hospitality was a um, place called Tablos in uh, Daikanyama, Tokyo. Um, at a time when I started as a food runner, I uh, was one of the finest dining in Tokyo. And before that, well, I was just delivering pizza, so it was quite <laughs> stretched. But um, yeah, from there, I just you know um, really enjoy every single time I'm working in the restaurant and bar. So, and I moved to New York for college. Um, but at the same time, this is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I was working in a restaurant in the bar, so... Right. Yes. Okay, so for listeners, we want to know more about uh, Masa's interesting background. You can listen to uh, episode 71. Okay, so um, so why did you decide to open a cocktail bar together? I mean, that was actually James's idea to bring the team together. We already had opened Boilermaker, and then, I mean, you can speak to that, James, as to how you had the idea to bring the team together. Um always been a fan of Japanese culture in general. I know Greg has been there a bunch of times and very knowledgeable in, in cocktails and, and Masa's personality really fit what we all wanted to do and that's kind of how it came together. Um, opening up a Japanese-American neighborhood bar mm. that, that did great cocktails, served great food, but in a very um, laid-back 
environment, um, mm. exciting, happy environment, and I knew that th- three of us could open a place like that. Right. So, what's the Masa's personality <laughs> fitting the concept? <laughs> He's a, a fantastic bartender, and he's very entertaining, kooky at times, which I love. Um, <laughs> it's it's all it's all part of the experience that we're trying to you know bring at Katana Kid, and, and it's the smile, yeah, mm. <laughs> his smile too, always happy. People love coming in to see him. Mm. Right, that's another reason I used to go to his bars too. So, <laughs> um, okay, so uh, what is the concept of Katana Kid? <laughs> is this for me? Yeah, sure, yes. Masa. Why don't you discuss um, it? I think Katana Kitten, um, the concept is this is a Japanese-American bar. But really, in a setting of very casual, you know, everyone's everyday bar, and then that's something we wanted to create. And and then lots of inspirations from izakayas uh, in Japanese, very casual drinking, eat, eating, uh, meeting place. And... So that kind of sort of meets some places like like neighborhood loving uh, Boilermaker, which James uh, and Greg's place in the East Village. So, you know, doors always open and, you know, anyone can come in for like one drink to just bring a bunch of people back. And um, so it is it is we take pride in like what we uh, deliver, the, the drinks and the food. But like it's really a very casual, laid back, um, fun place. Mm-hmm. Definitely in Tokyo, um, I know it's a lot of people, a lot of Americans, I should say, uh, think of Ginza-style bartending, which is a more formal-style bartending, if they start learning about Japanese bar culture. Mm. Um, Having been to Tokyo many times, I can't count how many cocktail bars I've been to in Tokyo, and talking with Moss and James, we started realizing we want to take inspiration from other neighborhoods, other styles, so a little bit of the fun of Shinjuku, mm. some of the history of Asakusa, some of some aspects of Ginza, of course, as well. Mm. So and you were saying Ginza is like high-end, and Asakusa and Shinjuku like more kind of casual, you know. To a large degree, Asakusa can be very traditional, Ginza mm. can be high-end, and yeah, Shinjuku can be, well, anything. It can crazy. be fun, <laughs> a little crazy. And uh, as... Mas was saying we wanted to take the neighborhood bar, but not just one neighborhood, really aspects of the fun part, definitely, as well as the you know, high-end cocktails. Mm, right. So uh, why did you name it Katana Kitten? I made that name up one day, and it was never really meant to be the name of the bar. And we weren't coming to a consensus on another name. And we started asking different people, and... Not everybody loved it, but everybody had a reaction to it. And we definitely wanted a name that didn't sound like a restaurant. Mm. So, um, yeah, eventually we all agreed to it. It wasn't, it wasn't instant. We had to live with it for a while. Mm. So what's the meaning of katana kitten and the implication of it? I mean, the literal meaning katana being Japanese samurai sword and a kitten is a young cat. Mm. <laughs> 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 but more of it, the uh, katana has a sharp edge. There's some precision in what we do. And the kitten, I would say, represents the playful aspects. Of, mm. At least that's my take on it. You know, the kitten is more of the playful aspects. You guys may have a slightly different uh, take on it. Similar, the, you know, the katana aspect is the serious side of, you know, our cocktail program is, is we, we take seriously the food aspect of it, the product itself. Mm. And like Greg said, katana, uh, kitten is more of the playful 
um, fun side we bring to the table. Mm, okay. Um, right. So, like, you know, Master mentioned, it's izakaya part. That's casual and everyday. And, uh, well, for listeners who are not familiar with exactly the, what the izakaya is in Japan, maybe you can just uh, summarize what izakaya concept is in Japan. Yes. Uh, izakaya... When you walk in and then when you experience, it's very easy to <laughs> describe it. That the izakaya itself is very casual uh, neighborhood eatery. Um, so they serve alcohol and they serve food, and definitely um, reflect on where that owner or either uh, the location is uh, is from. So if you go to like north and the west, and each neighborhood's got the uh, you know, reflection of the the seasonality also mm. on the menu. So you know, from spring to the winter, and you know, drink sake, um, beer, highballs, and uh, these little skewers and all these things. And then that's where you can really eat relatively or very very cheap. Mm. Um, that's the very approachable, you know, like very inviting um, style of the. Um, food mm. establishment and the drinking establishment um, but it, you know cheap doesn't mean like or reasonable price doesn't mean um, you know that the, or they slack in the preparation or or you know that the flavor is like better like you know so but um, no izakaya is great uh, just it's pretty much everywhere so mm. you won't miss it and you know when you land in Tokyo and probably the first place you want to go right. to, um, yeah, fill your belly. Yeah, because uh, there's so many zakayas, and then from small mom and pop to chain stores, they're so competitive that you find really good food there. So, yeah, it's a great place to be. Right, so that's the casual aspects uh, in Captain the Kitten's concept. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Okay. And, uh, all right, so let's talk about... Um, the whole menu. So, um, how? Um, what's the signature cocktails in, at Katana Kitten? Signature cocktails. Uh, we have. We kind of section out uh, three categories uh, on the drinks menu. Uh, first one is a highball. Uh, second one is a signature cocktails, and then, then also followed by uh, boilermakers. So highballs, highball cocktails. So signature one, I would say, uh, this is a Toki highball. The this is a great whiskey from uh, Santori. Mm, wait, wait. And so highball yes. is, by definition, this country like tall glass cocktail, right? But yes. in Japan, there's a specific identity associated with it. Most, I would say like ninety nine hundred percent. When you say highball in Japan, it's referring to whiskey highball, mm. and. Um, Again, the Santori is a big part of Japanese culture in general, and they make whiskey just specific for Japanese uh, market as well. To make this uh, one is called Kaku, Kakubin. Um, mm. It's something that the design and the juice hasn't changed for over 30, 40 years. Mm. Um, Highball is great, that the light and refreshing, essentially it's a, uh, alcohol and then carbonated and alcohol beverage. So that kind of basically lower the alcohol content, uh, when you consume and also brings out lots of flavor and amazing pair with all this food as well when you go to izakayas some are you know like all this pickle like some are a little bit salty some are a little bit oily uh, but 
you know, pair with a high ball, that's going to basically cut through the fat and then you can do it again mm. for a long, long time um, right. over the night. But, so, yes, high ball cocktail menu. But uh, we included not only uh, whiskey high ball, but as a category, we have this house signature, uh, gin and tonics. Mm. Take on it, all this um, um, dark and stormy. So it's something that fall, falls into the category that we uh, make season to season. Uh, summer stays uh, for over the seasons, but uh, this kind of, you know, we put everything together to make a you know, mm. variety of offering in the highball as well. Mm. And the Japanese flavors. Yes. Right. I think each item has got like some certain uh, Japanese either ingredients or all these traditions. And sing- other signature cocktail basically from martini to Negroni twist, all these uh, classic cocktails twist, but uh, take on our very special touches. And Boilermaker, again, that uh, homage to Greg and um, James's bar in the East Village. So basically, beer and shot, but, but we took that to more fun way, more playful way of um, essentially a pairing of a little something in the shot glass mm. and to uh, serve with yeah, either beer, cider, um, some unique item on the menu as well. Um, it's called La Mea, but basically it's um, half bottle of Krug champagne and then comes with the uh, four shots of tequila. <laughs> Yeah, mm. that's fun. I was looking at it. Um, and also, um, for instance, you have a hinoki martini, that's a cypress martini. And uh, you have great goose and uh, spring port for mountain gin, fino sherry, and junmai daiginjo, and the hinoki tree essence. So it sounds pretty Japanese. And I Yes. I, um, and it, it's still, again, that the very classic martini preparation, still nice and dry martini. Um, but very very unique again mm. the hinoki tree essence that's only you get to taste at the in the katanakin mm, i'll be there soon and try this yeah one that one's pretty delicious hey. <laughs> as are many of the drinks on the menu that one's really nice mm. by the way the Suntory just uh, released a new gin vodka and uh vodka right rice vodka yes Zero. have you ever tasted them yes Hi. delicious mm. <laughs> so it's uh i think uh we're going to talk about japanese uh, bar tools later but japanese spirits seem changing too like it's expanding not just not just the japanese whiskey but more products coming out to the market so it's good for katanakitten i think yeah it's nice for us to have a, uh, availability not just things that are new to the market which of course you know the suntory gin and uh but also things that we haven't been able to get before anytime that there's a new japanese product available in the united states it's certainly exciting for us mm, right Okay, so uh, what about uh, the food? That's, uh, you know, izakaya food, I think. Certainly inspired by that. Yes. Um, maybe James want to talk about the experience in Tokyo. <laughs> that, that's it. So we took a trip in Tokyo um, last year uh, before October. opening. October before opening. Mm. Um, and then, you know, like, again, from the experience, we certain get like lots of uh, inspiration for the menu and then James maybe want to talk yeah about. it's a uh, the menu's not that big it's a it's about 11 12 items but it's meant a lot of it is meant to be shared a lot of men a lot of it is smaller portions so as you're drinking cocktails you're ordering food you don't really order all the food at once you can order and drink throughout the night and that's mm. kind of 
very the experience, <laughs> very izakaya, mm-hmm. very, you know, a lot of the places I went to Tokyo with Masa was like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great. It was, uh, you know, so we have a lot of great dishes on, on the menu that go with our cocktails and um, they're fantastic. Mm. That's interesting. I think uh, in restaurants, as far as I know, in America, tend to, you, you asked, order everything at the beginning. Probably they have to manage all those seating and stuff. I understand it. But I think in Japanese, Akaya, you're just like, can we start with this? Of course. And as you go, you tend to order more because mm-hmm. you drink more too. So That'll definitely yeah. work to <laughs> a katana kitten. Mm-hmm. Yes. A- absolutely. That's, you know, that's part of the culture. You may start, you know, you may start with ordering the crudite or the deviled eggs. You have a few cocktails, mm-hmm. maybe a few boiler makers, and then you order some more things on the menu. And it's sort of that vibe. Where you can order and order food as you go, you don't have to order everything else. Right, and I was looking at you know you mentioned deviled eggs, but it's uh, with white miso and uh, salmon roll, and there's uni adon if you want to have adon. So that's pretty Japanese too, even deviled eggs. So that's great. And uh, what about the sandwich? You usually say sandos. That's pretty Japanese too. Yeah. So my my. F- when I was in Tokyo with Maso, we had the uh, classic katsu sandal, which was ham. And I thought it was one of the best things I've ever had. Um, and when we were working on the menu at Katana, um, we wanted to kind of do our version of it. And, and Masa wanted to do mortadella, um, which is fantastic. And uh, we do our version of it. And it's one of the most popular dishes at mm. Katana Kitten right now. So I assume it's like Japanese-style sandwich? Yes, yes, absolutely. Mortadella is kind of sort of like a bologna, but a very good tasting bologna, mm. not what mm. usually what Americans are used to. It's a high quality meat, right. and, and we fry it and we put it in, in mm. the, the fluffy Japanese bread. Fluffy Japanese bread, mm. no, no milk crust, bread. no bread. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's I think it's a you know, by the way, in, Jap- in Japanese or you know, the society, they, they don't say sandwich, but they, they say the sandwich, but sando, sando is really yes, classic. Yeah, you can find a good sandal yeah, even at convenience stores. <laughs> One of the best sandals I had was in a 7-Eleven in Tokyo. <laughs> and he told me about it, and I was, you know, I was kind of laughing about it. But when we went in there and I grabbed the egg, the egg sandwich, um, which, by the way, we also have our version of an egg sandal on the menu. Mm. Um, but I had the 7-Eleven one in Tokyo, and it was one of the best egg sandwiches I've ever had. Right. Well, I think a uh, convenience store in Japan is quite different. Like it's it's not uh, convenience. It's it's a craftsman store in a way. Every single item, even like a dollar or two, you get the best onigiri. You have the best sandwich. Yeah, definitely. I find when I'm traveling in Tokyo, it's where I eat a lot of my lunches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, but yeah, the foods. I mean, obviously, our chef um, is part of Cocktail Kingdom Hospitality, Nick Sorrentino, and then our chef uh, at Katana Kittens, uh, Sid, have been really taking inspiration from Masa and things that he remembers and has taught all of us and then James experience and uh, really made it approachable and again we're focusing on our cocktails but at this point the food is uh, become almost an equal part mm, right so I think um, you know the, the concept of izakaya like we discussed already it's you need the food and Japanese classic cocktail bars, you don't eat. You just keep your back straight and yeah. appreciate every sip, which is another classic beauty. But izakaya is more fun. 
Yes, this is a, again the Japanese American bar, and then the bar, good bar, has a great food, like like wings and you know, like certain thing that people come back for.、Mm. So our case is again that people like our drinks, but also our food as well. Right, and I think in, there's important difference also that in Japan restaurants don't have waiting bars. So if you want to have good cocktail, you have to go to serious cocktail bars, which could be expensive, or you just have to. You, you don't know. I, if I, at first time I went to Japan, and you know, I don't know what to do with the cocktail bars. It's like so serious, and、uh, it's kind of、uh, intimidating. Yeah, I、know? think that's. I mean, definitely when we opened, we didn't want to be too serious. I don't think it's a, a good fit for the West Village where we're located, and it doesn't really. It's not James Masar, my personality, to be that serious all the time. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, again, I think some of our favorite bars. In Tokyo, also some of the less serious ones. I know Rock Bar Mother,、uh, James and Masa went there, and not knowing I had been there, also it's like definitely not a serious place. Loud, loud、mm. place. <laughs> <laughs>、um, but we definitely took our inspiration from all different types of bars in Japan.、Mm. Right. So sounds like、uh, you have the best part of serious cocktails, like you know serious bars here and in Japan. But then there's an ambience that you can have cocktails, not sake or anything. And in the same place as restaurant ambience, so that's the the best kind of idea. Yeah, and we have two floors also, so the upstairs and the downstairs have a slightly different、uh, vibe to them,、mm. and and they change throughout the night as well. So I mean, downstairs can be a little more restauranty at the beginning, but late in the evening, it's much more inspired by Golden Guy area of Shinjuku, <laughs> which is. Small, a little bit irreverent, and、um, kind of funky.、Mm, so, Golden Guy is just a famous. Yeah, you said funky, but、uh, <laughs> it's a very concentrated area of crazy small,、uh, high quality, or just funky eateries with a lot of personality too.、Mm. I mean, I think ton of personality. Yeah, each bar <laughs> seems to be based on you know small bars with. Four to eight seats.、Mm. That's、uh, based on something from the owners' past, whether they were in a rock band once thirty years ago, or they want to collect toy trains. <laughs> but that's the focus.、Uh, so we have a little bit of that personality downstairs. That's、mm. really, I think. Late, I don't know if you guys have a favorite time down there. I like it late in the evening. Late night, it's always fun.、Uh, we we get larger parties down there as well, so、mm-hmm. it, it's a it's a different vibe from from what's upstairs. And I think downstairs you really get if you haven't been to Tokyo, you really get that true、mm. uh, feeling of, of of being there、um, in a type of bar style that they have there. Yeah, we were inspired by Golden Guy, but we、yeah. don't have six seats. We actually have room <laughs> for <laughs> a larger group. Right.、Um, yeah, but who come to、uh, your bar, the Cat and the Kitten? The clientele is very mixed.、Uh, obviously, being in the West Village on Hudson Street, it's a very busy, popular street. We do get neighborhood regulars, but we also get people coming from all different types of neighborhoods.、Um, we've been lucky and fortunate enough to kind of spread the word and become popular, and we got some great press o- over the last month or two. So the, the clientele is very different. Age gap is is different as well. Twenty five to forty five, fifty, just different kind of ages coming in here, and again because we have the two floors, we can give people kind of two different experiences. If they want more of that 
restaurant, sit-down feel, we can put them downstairs and upstairs if they want cocktails and drinks, uh, more standing room upstairs. Mm, right. We definitely have a lot of people that are coming to see Masa and James from knowing Masa from you know, different places, Saxon and Brol certainly in other places, and James from Boilermaker, we have a lot of people are coming as a destination heading to the West Village where uh, often East Village drinkers go all the <laughs> way to Hudson Street to have a cocktail now. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, so now let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, uh, we'll talk about unique uniqueness of Japanese bottles. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American, and that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table, be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese Podcast Me Live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and I have three guests today from Katana Kitten, a new Japanese American bar in the West Village in New York City. Masahiro Urushido is the managing partner, head partner, and the director of Deliciousness. And James Toon is the general manager and the managing partner. And Greg Bourne is the co-owner and the founder of Cocktail Kingdom, which brings rare-to-find great cocktail books and barware to the cocktail community. So, um, so I would like to know more about <coughs> the Cocktail Kingdom because I know that you have great bar tools from uh, Japan in the catalog as well. So sure. what is uh, the Cocktail Kingdom and when and why did you start the company? Uh, so I started Cocktail Kingdom 10 years ago now, almost 10 years ago. And we started with doing re, uh, republishing very important antique cocktail books to make them accessible to bartenders. Uh, and after I started doing that, people, mostly bartenders, let me know there was a need for better barware than was currently avail- widely available uh, in the U.S. So I started importing barware from Japan and from Germany. Uh, over the time it changed and Cocktail Kingdom now designs and manufactures almost everything, about 99% of the products that we sell, we design and manufacture. Mm. Um, the inspiration, it, it, a lot of the inspiration still comes from Japanese barware though. So do you design those? <laughs> yeah, I mean our team does at Cocktail Kingdom. We have people that design everything. We often work with celebrity bartenders, mm. um, people from our world like uh, Dave Wondrich, 
uh, the author of Imbibe and a great cocktail historian, um, has helped us with a design of a barware that's based on antiques. Mm. Uh, one interesting, interesting thing about Japanese barware is some things can be a, a bit of a misnomer. I mean, I can blame myself for the Japanese-style jigger that we call it now, which is what I named it a dozen or more years ago. Uh, turns out to be an American patent that was then made in Japan. We stopped making it in the United States, mm. and so now what we call the what's commonly known as the Japanese style jigger, which is a measuring device that's two sided, often one ounce on one side and two ounces on the other, um, is actually a U.S. patent from the late 1800s. Interesting. That's like a Kumamoto oyster. Kumamoto oyster died, extinct in Japan, and they came back and. Then they brought it, yeah. started here again. So, but uh, so, what is the key though? Is this the precision, or what's the what, what makes yeah, a difference? Yeah, it's, it's the quality. I mean, and the the aesthetic um, being matched with something that's manufactured to be used on a commercial bar on a busy Saturday night. So the coil of the spoon is smoother, so it won't hurt your finger when you're stirring lots and lots of drinks over the course of the night. Um, and then there are some types of barware that are more common in Japan than they're in the U.S. Uh, again, the cobbler shaker, which is a three-piece shaker with a strainer built in. Mm. Again, a U.S. patent, but it's much more common to see Japanese bartenders using the cobbler shaker. American cocktail bartenders will be using two tins, tin on tin. Mm. So uh, using an 18-ounce and a 20-ounce tin that then fit together. Um, I don't know if in Masa in Japan, did you start with cobbler shakers? Yes. Yeah. That would be much more common. Mm. Um, I really wonder, though, I think... Japanese people tend to have crazy mindset to just pursue everything in tools. I think that's the craftsmanship buried um, since the beginning of the history of Japan. Like, you know, the, the Japanese cooking knives, I think that's based on samurai sword. Mm -hmm. And uh, samurai sword is banned, now switched to culinary knives, that kind of thing. So there is a foundational aspect of it. Yeah, that. and single purpose things. In other words, a spoon that is made for stirring cocktails, a strainer that is made for straining cocktails, not finding something that is, Americans often, I mean, I'm generalizing, but like to find something that's good for everything. And I find when I started going to Japan a lot, I would find more specialized tools that were for a very specific purpose mm. and in a lot of ways better. Right. Yeah, it's like a wasabi grater. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> the samurai, uh, the, the, the shark skin. Shark skin, yeah. <laughs> right. But uh, so, for instance, um, the, well, before that, was mm. the German tools are as good as Japanese? Because they are more. Um, currently, a lot of barware is made all over the world. So, a lot of the Japanese barware isn't made in Japan. Um, a lot of the German barware isn't made in. Germany, but the Germans continued to make a style of Hawthorne strainer, which is the strainer that has a coil built into it. So mm -hmm. you might use it after shaking a drink, and you want to make sure to get more bits and pieces strained out. Um, so there was some German strainers, but uh, again, now I mean, Cocktail Kingdom, we manufacture our products all over the world at this point. Um, but yeah, there's a German cocktail culture as well, but it's definitely not um, as amazing as the. Japanese cocktail culture. Like Japanese cocktail culture in the 1880s, 1890s, people left Japan to travel around the world to bring things back, and that was the golden age of the American cocktail, as I mentioned earlier. So in Japan, they managed to capture 
barware as well as cocktails at their height mm. when everything was being made the best, being made in a very purposeful way. And they kept doing that. So when I started looking into both cocktail culture and barware history, I had to go to Japan because we had prohibition in this country. They never did. So nothing mm. stopped people in Japan from continuing to make great cocktails and great barware. Mm. Right. And I think a uh, Japanese mind is to preserve something already existed and try to make it better rather than try to change or anything. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah, James was mentioning that with, uh, noticing that with cocktail bars, the classic cocktail bars in Japan. How do you describe it? <laughs> in Japan? Yeah. Uh, very traditional, um, fantastic cocktails that, that they're making, but again, a lot of the bars are very similar in the traditional sense of you walk in, you sit down, you're very quiet, you order your drink, um, you wait a little while for the drink, but uh, it, it comes out fantastic. Um, and they are classic cocktails. And they're right. classic cocktail, right? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Right. I wonder, so is it maybe the same mindset as making sushi because you cannot break the rule and for cocktails, if you go beyond the classic recipes, you may need. <laughs> I think recipe, uh, cocktails, I think it's more about concept. You know, so like Manhattan is Manhattan, but um, Martini is Martini. But there's room to kind of uh, adjust to just for you, Akiko-san. Like, for example, like, you know, you have your preference in balance of the drink. So, uh, or fashion or anything that the classic cocktail mm. uh, to me is about the drink or recipe, those things uh, um, uh, as a concept. Yes, you have to have certain ingredients, but the ratio changes depends on... Um, how client mm. uh, likes and interesting uh, so yeah. maybe Ka more customized version of there the can be Kaza Ueda who is um, the owner of Tender Bar in Ginza mm. and also Cocktail Kingdom Kingdom publishes his book in English language is originally written in Japanese has said that there's uh, every classic cocktail has four recipes the original recipe the currently accepted recipe the bartender's favorite version of the recipe and the customer's favorite version of the recipe. Mm, interesting. So. Right. That reminds me of the concept of omotenashi, like hospitality. So mm. I think that's why, you know, as it was mentioned, it's not eight, eight seats or only limited in this country, but mm. they really pay 100% attention to you as a customer, although you may have to wait a little bit. But <laughs> the, no, the customer services is fantastic. And even while you are waiting, you're just watching them make the cocktails within itself as a show. It's mm. very uh, yeah, it was, fun to watch. Yeah, that you're paying for admission to yeah. a show to mm. watch the, the craft of the bartender. At Katana Kitten, certainly watching Masa behind the bar, he has the fluidity of motion, um, but also a, a little bit of uh, you know, a little bit of whimsical nature as well mm, right interesting so that's the part that we, I, I don't think we really know about Japanese mysterious cocktail culture I mean a hush hush bar people say it but there's a warm flexible hospitality side in it and the katana kitten has it so that's exciting um, so um, who buy those uh, bottles like fine oh, all over the country you get an order from uh, all over the world um, yeah, we have cocktailkingdom.jp. We actually sell back to Japan a lot now. Wow. But yeah, uh, all over the world, uh, Cocktail Kingdom is, we consider ourselves professional barware for professional bartenders. Um, but as we, you know, with knives, of course, home users want the knives that the professional chefs are using. And we definitely have a lot of home users buying Cocktail Kingdom barware on our website. 
Um, but the website's in multiple languages, in French and German mm. and uh, Spanish. And um, so we, and Japanese, as I mentioned. So uh, the people buying it are definitely professional bartenders. That is the bulk of our business, mm. but certainly uh, home users as well. Oh, home users too. Wow. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I think uh, well, nowadays uh, cocktail world is globalized too. So at least Japan is, t- you know, taking a part of it. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so uh, what is your plan? Going for it. <laughs> <laughs> plan. Well, uh, you can say anything. Plan for next vacation to uh, where are you going to open another t- cat and the kitten number two or... I think right now we're focusing on, on, on this one and making it stronger and um, every day going in there and making it better and better and that's kind of the focus from there and then we'll move from there and, and see kind of what happens but right now all the focus uh, mm. is on Katana Kid in West Village. Yeah, we're still pretty new. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> we're excited just having made the transition from summer into fall. Uh, this past weekend was quite busy, busy in a good way, from uh, under control and busy, not <laughs> hectic and busy. Uh, so I think really just planning on getting, uh, settling into into fall and getting ready for the, what in our cocktail world is a very busy season. Mm, right. I really learned today that Katana Kitten is a little, you know, precious window to the Japanese cocktail culture, but it's approachable. So hopefully... You can expand or something. Maybe you can open one in Japan. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> right. That'd be very cool. Okay, so uh, for listeners, uh, where can we find more information about Katana Kitten and on Cocktail Kingdom? KatanaKitten.com. Both websites are pretty straightforward, so KatanaKitten.com. Or just come by Hudson Street and say hi. And then also it's CocktailKingdom.com. Mm. Uh, oh. Definitely the best way to uh, get more information. Okay, great. So uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, okay, so listeners, um, uh, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for guests or topics of the show, please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org. And Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays, always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So um, please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify and write a review. We appreciate your feedback. And our engineer today is Matt Pattinson, and I was, uh, thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.